everyone and welcome back to part two of autism traits I didn't know I had and welcome back to the podcast. So I am really excited to be back. I had a tiny bit of a meltdown this morning over trivial stuff. Today as I mentioned we're going to be talking about autism traits I didn't realise I had when I was younger. When I realised that I was diagnosed these all came to light. So As always, I've written a list and it's going to be very similar to last time where I've got 10 lists of traits that I didn't realise I had until I was diagnosed and then I'm just going to talk about it, how it relates to me, how it relates to the autistic community in the grand scheme of things and yeah. So let me look at my notes and I'll be with you in a second. Now the first trait is having a keen interest in a certain topic. Now this was very tricky growing up for me personally because just like any other neurotypical I had very similar hobbies. So I loved to play with Barbies, I loved going to drama club, I love Disney. It wasn't like stereotypical what you would think of an autism person well not what you would think like what the stereotypical version of playing with trains lining up cars or maybe I'm not sure but it wasn't very it wasn't very specific in a way of out of the ordinary but for me personally looking back I definitely did have special interests that I thought were more to the extreme but because I was the first born my parents obviously didn't know any different So my special interests were playing with Bratz dolls. Now, I absolutely loved playing with Bratz dolls and Sylvanian dolls as well. So my mum, every single year for Christmas, up until the age of about 13, 14, which I know is a bit late, but I feel for me, developmentally, I am quite behind in age. I can't speak for all all autistics, but I know for me, I feel like I was a little bit behind So I just loved playing with dolls, creating little stories up. My imagination was wild. When I was getting my diagnosis done, when the question of special interests came up, the diagnosis person was asking me, do you create stories in your head? Is it related to anything that's happened in real life? And honestly, it was just random. Anything Anything that just came to the top of my head, I would just speak. I would just portray through the dolls and it was more of I was portraying the version of me I wanted to be so whether it was very spunky very confident or whether I'd seen something on the news maybe of people being gangsters I'd be portrayed maybe portrayed through my dolls not necessarily not necessarily that I wanted to be that because it was the thrill of I could portray a scenario out and it was still a safe environment. Thinking about it now, I'm guessing it was another way of masking in a way of me practicing my conversational skills instead of doing it in the mirror like some people do. I would practice it on my dolls, see how it would sound if I said it out loud, how if I maybe got Barbie to speak to Ken in a certain way in my head I'd be like oh does that interaction sound a bit rude or does that interaction sound okay and it wasn't fully like that but I can see looking back that 
little bits here and there was like that so it definitely helped with my communication style as well as drama drama definitely helped me which was another special interest which I'm going to make a podcast about or I may have already made a podcast about it so I haven't recorded it yet but I'm not sure whether I'm going to post it before this one or after this one if you already heard it I'd love it if you could give me some feedback. If you haven't already heard it, look forward to it. So that was my thought on special interests. So the next trait is having to plan things out carefully before I go to do the thing. For me personally, this can be a positive and a negative. So for example, today I got up this morning. Well, it was last night, actually. I planned it in my head. I'm going to record my podcast. I'm going on a walk. I'm going to do some editing for the Instagram post. But what I hadn't taken into account is the only soundproof area of my entire house is the outside office. What I hadn't put into account was my mum was using this office to do some business work. So when I got up, I first of all, I thought I was home alone. So I was like, yay, I get to do all my little tasks and then I can record my podcast. But then when I came to record my podcast, I soon realised that my mum was in the office and also she wasn't planning on moving anytime soon. Now I've got this app which tracks my energy levels and my energy levels say that I have the most energy from 10am to 1pm and my mum said she didn't know when she was going to leave the office and that honestly brought me into a complete meltdown. I thought I'm not going to have enough energy later on, I planned it out meticulously, meticulously to do my podcast today, what am I going to do? I can't do a podcast another day. I don't have enough energy later on and it just ended up spiraling to the point where I didn't know what to do and I wouldn't listen to anyone. I wouldn't listen to my mum's advice. I wouldn't listen to my dad's advice. My mum started shouting because she was was just frustrated because she didn't understand and in the end we came to an agreement where my mum said that later on in the day before my energy runs out she will let me record and that's what I'm doing now I've got the space I'm recording for half an hour we've made an agreement and in the moment when you're having a meltdown it's almost like you can't hear what people are saying people are trying to help you people are trying to give you advice but you can't hear it and it's so strange however on the flip side when you don't have any interruptions and things go very swimmingly It can be like the best thing ever. You can get your tasks done. You know what you want to do. And there's a sense of fulfillment. But like this morning with me, if there's any little things that get in the way, it can cause a meltdown. Now, there's a podcast called Thomas Henley. And I was looking at his YouTube channel and there's a video called how to prevent meltdowns. I'm a bit I'm a bit skeptical on if you can prevent meltdowns or you can prevent it when things go wrong such as your structured plan getting ruined. But I am going to watch that video because it'll be interesting to see whether when things go wrong if I can if I can help myself before I get to a meltdown state where 
I just want the world to end for the rest of the day. I know definitely for sure breathing tips really help me when I'm feeling anxious. When I was in the middle of a meltdown, I was scrolling through social media just as I was about to come down from the meltdown. And there was this person on social media talking about breathing techniques with anxiety. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to give it a go. So we talked about breathing in and out, in and out, and focusing your whole attention on what the world around you is like, what you can hear, what you can see, thinking fully about what, about the birds outside, the cars, the wind. And it just calmed me so much down. And I started to get grounded. It only took me half an hour to come out of this meltdown, which is pretty quick for me. And it just felt amazing. And I would never have thought breathing techniques would necessarily help me get out of a meltdown. I know it helps me with the extreme side of it, but actually the mental side of changing my mindset. I mean, that side of it. But it's definitely proved to help. So moving on to the next trait. The next trait which I've written down is not talking as much to other children. Now growing up, I really struggled to talk to children or adults in my peer group. So I would either talk to or relate to children who are much, much younger than me, such as maybe toddlers, where I can play with them, have fun, or I feel like they aren't judging me or older people, like adults similar to my mum's age, where also I don't feel like they're judging me. But for some reason, when I was younger, I used to feel like a disconnect with my peer group. I'm not sure why. I think mainly because my brain maybe was a little bit younger when my peer group were going on to dressing in maybe more grown-up clothes, wearing makeup. I sort of felt like I wasn't ready and even though it was a me thing I sort of put in the category of they seem ready so they must be more mentally ready and it just brought a disconnect and no matter how much I tried to push myself and just surround myself with my peer groups it was a real struggle even when my parents would say go hang out with your cousin, she's the same age as you, she wants to get to know you better because you don't hang out much because of that disconnect but even just trying to find a common ground because she'd be like I like going out to town, I like to wear makeup, I like to watch Love Island and for me them three things are not what I love to do. I love to I love to pray with brat souls. I like to watch CBBC and I just like to watch Disney movies. And growing up and developing something that I love to do now is just learn about other people because I find it so fascinating how people can be so different to myself. And I find that just learning about other people, throwing it, volleying it back, back into really creates a friendship where now I can, well, not necessarily, I can't relate to my peers still, but I have a common ground where we 
both love to learn about each other, especially my neurodivergent friends where I 100% don't relate to any of them, but at the same time, I find them so fascinating that I just love talking to them. But when I was younger, I hadn't up to, I hadn't developed that skill or want to learn or to, to interact with my peers. So it was very, very difficult. So it was a very standout trait, I guess. So the next trait which I've written down is unusual speech, such as talking over people or talking at people. So with my autism, I really struggle to process information. So I might repeat phrases or I might repeat an entire sentence just to process it in my brain. I know my parents and my peers when I was younger, they used to find that so annoying. They used to think I was doing it on purpose or that I was bored. I know a common phrase from my dad would be that, you just talking dribble Athena, you're just repeating yourself just to get words out, you're bored, go do something else. But in my brain, I remember thinking, I'm not bored. I, I want to repeat myself. This has really helped me. But to them, it's just me repeating myself, which can, which I can see from their eyes can be a little bit boring. And maybe they just want to talk about something else. Let me know if you relate to this one or send me a message about it. I've not known many. I don't know many people who can relate to this one as well as alexithymia. Alexithymia I don't have, but I do struggle to display my expressions on my face. So for example, I might look absolutely miserable with my resting face, or I might be concentrating hard on something, and it might look like I'm really sad. Really, I could be really, really happy, or I could be delighted, or I might be sad but that's another trait which I've had all my life and definitely should have been a telltale sign. So the last trait of autism which I'm not sure whether it would have been possible to gauge I had autism from this or not is clumsiness. Now clumsiness is a massive trait of dyspraxia with gross motor skills, fine motor skills. I made a whole podcast on clumsiness and dyspraxia in season one, if you want to go back to it. But because the clumsiness is such a massive part of dyspraxia and it's a very little part of autism, I can understand how it wouldn't be thought of as me being autistic because the first thought would be she's really struggling, she's falling over herself loads, he's bumping into walls. Why wouldn't it be anything else other than dyspraxia? Which which that is the only one which I can bring a justification to on why I didn't get diagnosed based on clumsiness because it was just too obvious as well as other traits as well, like the slow processing, which is a massive part. It just made too much sense. And if someone was to mention that it could have been autism, I could see my parents looking at them thinking, how can that be autism when it's a textbook style of dyspraxia, if you know what I mean? So let me know if you relate to any of these traits. Let me know if you relate to any of these traits that for me personally, my family and me struggle to notice growing up. Or let me know if you were diagnosed early and then traits were obvious to you, whether they weren't obvious like me. And maybe possibly you got diagnosed at the age of seven and got diagnosed with another thing later on in life at age 23. I'd love to hear your stories or 
anything that you loved about the podcast so this is going to be the end of the podcast i really hope you loved it and possibly found elements of it interesting or anything that you could relate to i'd love it if you could subscribe down below follow me follow me on my instagram facebook youtube the all at life through dyspraxia or let's talk about disability so i'll see you next week for another episode